0: A big thank you to all the companies that are helping support The Real Rescue Podcast. SR3 Rescue Concepts, Life Saving Systems Corporation, Breeze Eastern, and Flipping Coffee. If you've not sent these companies an email, you absolutely need to. You wanna know why? Well, it's because they all work together. When you email them, they will absolutely set you up for success. All of them have a great working relationship with each other. For helicopter training, contact SR3. For hoist information, contact Breeze Eastern. For rescue equipment, contact LSC. And for a great cup of coffee, contact Flippin Coffee. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. They are a training company that can help your training program with standards, safety, and maybe just an FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with any personal protective equipment inspection courses. And the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter, cliff, and mountain rescue. In addition to that, if you listen to our episode with Hans and Alvin, episode 10, and they used it on a boat rescue, which was amazing. So contact them today, sr3rescueconcepts.com. That's sr3rescueconcepts.com. Or see them over on Instagram at sr3 rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation, who manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite rescue man harness, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook and helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC Tough Gear for Tough Jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at Rescue Gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years their commitment to the rescuer operations, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze today by visiting Breeze-Eastern.com. That's Breeze-Eastern.com. Then we have Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring a smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple, brewing real coffee, using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at FlippinCoffee.com to order your bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. As a bonus, you type in the promo code, all capital letters, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10% off. Thank you to all of our sponsors who are helping make this podcast grow. It's much appreciated. Our next guest is a great friend of mine, and he's been a friend of mine for many, many years. And the great part about our conversation that we have here is that we bring two worlds together into one. So he's in the boat world, I'm in the Hilo world or aviation world, and bam, we smash them together with a lot of our training, uh, a lot of our cases that we've worked, and the different aspects on both sides to get one similar job done. We're all working to meet the same goal, and that is to save lives. And it's awesome to have him here, so please welcome my friend tom moore my name is jason quinn i am united states coast guard rescue swimmer number 500 these are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live this is the real rescue podcast Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast today, my man, Mister Tom Moore. What's up, Tommy well, boy?
1: Well, hey. no, not much, Jason. Thanks for having me today. So, yeah, yeah, looking forward to this. It's uh, it's gonna be fun. Got some good stories for you, and uh, hopefully, we can tie it all together. And what you want me to do? So,
0: yes, I'm excited about this. And uh, all right, so I got to give a little back back history between you and I. So. Tom, and, and you know, you're going to get into this for everybody in a minute, but um,
1: mm-hmm. he's
0: a bosun's mate, and a bosun's mate drives the boats, and that's about as don't, far as I'm going to go into that with you, because I'm going to let you take the rest. Don't
1: hold it against me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so we got us Airedales, and then we got the boat guys, and Airedales yep. and boat guys don't usually mix, however, however. There's always that moment in time when just so happens Tom Moore and Jason Quinn are in the adjoining houses and we take all of the Christmas decorations and duplicate to make our house the best in Coast Guard housing. Boom.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: All right. um, So Tom, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, us being neighbors, we had a great time there and I really grew an amazing friendship with you, which I, I very much appreciate with all these years because yeah, it's, it's, it's been 20 years. You and I have been friends, something like that. Pretty close. Yeah, Well, since
1: well, I think I got tried. I transferred in, moved in next to you and what? 93.
0: No. ninety two.
1: Oh, three. I mean, oh, three. Yeah. See, I, I told you I'm getting old. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 03. That's all good. Yeah. So uh, 18 years, you and I have been, been good friends and, And I appreciate every bit of it. Uh, So it's been awesome. But for everybody else out there, please introduce yourself. Tell them where you're from and and how you got into the Coast Guard and how you got into search and rescue and specifically how you turned into a surfman.
1: Okay. well, my name is Tom Moore, as Jason said already. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Um, I joined the Coast Guard in 1988, went into uh, boot camp in October of 88. Uh, kind of pushed in that direction by my old man. Um, you know, one of those things when you're in high school and you, they ask you, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to college. And of course, my dad's like, how are you going to get there? And I looked at him and said, Hey, you're going to pay for it. Right. He said, Nope, that well's dry. (laughs) (laughs) You got to find something else to do. And I'm like, Oh, all right, cool. So then I started looking around and everything. And I checked out all the services. And of course, you know, Coast Guard's kind of small, even though here in Oregon on the West coast it's big, but in the Valley, it was kind of, you didn't hear a whole lot about it. So I checked everything out and I was set to join the Marine Corps. I went home. My dad said, yeah, that's stupid. And uh, <laughs> told me I was making a making a, a big mistake in my life. And his partner at the time, because he was a police officer, happened to be a retired senior chief. And so he came over to the house and we had a conversation. I went down to the Coast Guard recruiter and I signed up. And the rest was kind of history. went to boot camp. Uh, how I got started in search and rescue is uh, – When I was in boot camp, they had this thing called a guaranteed region. I signed up for that when I was still in the recruiting office. So that would have
0: brought you back to Oregon area, right? The northwest. Right. Well,
1: they, they said they said, "Where do you want to go?" And I said. I didn't know what these regions, it was obviously it was the districts and you know, high school kid, what's a district? I don't know what a district is. <laughs> so they said, they showed me a map with all the districts broke down. I said, well, that one's kind of close to home, you know? So I said, uh, I'll take the 13th district, forgot about it. Then the, the day before we go, or the day of selecting your assignments, they pulled us into a room and said, Hey, you had a guaranteed region. Here's your two choices. It was Station Umqua River or Aunt Coos Bay. And I remember oh. the guy that was ex- yeah, well, the guy that was explaining it to me said, I said, what's Ant Coos Bay? This was kind of like working on a buoy tender. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And, uh, <laughs> and they said, well, I said, well, what's Umpqua River, this Umpqua River like? I said, well, what's that? Those lifeboats, those 44-foot motor lifeboats. Then I said, oh, yeah, I've seen those on, you know, up, up at the Cape. And I said, I'll take that. So I got Umpqua River, and that's how I got into search and rescue initially, nice. at least that station. And then I did 31 years, retired uh, coming up two years ago. Which thank yeah, you for your service. Work. in
0: such a long, long endeavor. 33 years for most people that don't know this. It's uh, like a 30 year cap and then you're supposed to be pushed out and say, okay, go away. But Tom, cause he's such the man. They were like, no, we need you to stay for like three more years.
1: <laughs> well, it was, just, it was, it was, it was only the 31, but it was, yeah. Oh, sorry. Were, sorry. That, 31. That, that's all right. That's okay. That, that last year was uh Yeah. The the needs of the service outweighed my retirement. So uh, I stayed for another year, which is fine. Which is fine. That's how, that's pretty much how my career went. I mean, when I got into search and rescue, obviously um, on River was the first station. I enjoyed it, but I, I I liked the job. I liked the work, but I did not enjoy the Coast Guard my first four years and I was going to get out and uh, do other things. And then, you know, life happens and stuff happens. So I extended and, I went on and I did uh, as okay. Thirty-one years as a bosun mate in the Coast Guard. I got one ship under my belt. and That's less than a year because the boat was. Uh, I took it out of Fram in 1991. I think it was a cutter midget, which is now decom. And uh, <laughs> and then of course I had we had I had a, a family issue happen that we couldn't uh, do anything about a medical issue. So I was transferred off of the midget quickly and sent to Station Coos Bay. And then once I got there, I made surfman and yep. the rest now of L, what I, is
0: surfman? day because again you're talking to a lot of airedales right now got you so
1: <laughs> so when you're going through your qualifications as you're working your way up and everything like that and you decide what path you want to go and i was a bosun mate you know i was a crewman already and then I, I made coxswain and this was before we didn't have heavy weather coxswain like they do now the sure. next step was to be a surfman if you were in a surf unit and uh, i was fortunate enough to have a warrant officer that uh Looked at this young BM3 and said, hey, you know, if you put forth the effort, you can earn your qualification, which at that time was kind of unheard of. It was, you know, you had to be a little senior. You had to have a little bit more time under your belt and everything like that. And, and uh, this warrant officer just had, a, you know, he he made it clear that uh, it wasn't, a, let's say, a good old boy network, but it was more along the lines of the, you show me what you got. And if you got it, then then you can, you can earn that qualification. So wow, nice. I busted my... I busted my butt because that's uh, when I left Umqua, I realized that maybe that's what I wanted to do. And then I got my second opportunity at Coos Bay. And uh, fortunately enough, I lived around the corner from the station. So every time the the bell went off, I was there immediately. And uh, yeah, so I was on that. I got underway as often as much as I could. And then uh, we had a seat open up there for whatever reason. I think it was a medical reason, but we had a kid that was slated to go to the lifeboat school. And uh, something happened and the slot opened back up and the CO pushed. And I was, I don't know if I was the next in line, but uh, they offered it to me. And so I went in uh, that gentleman's stead and uh, that just kind of kept going. And then from there on, it just, the needs of the service. I bounced from there down to station Bro- Checo River, from Checo River, down to Eureka where we met. Yep. The Eureka went right back up to uh, Cape Disappointment and then i made more
0: real quick cape disappointment is where the motor lifeboat school is for to train the heavy weather coxswains
1: coxswains correct correct that was actually yeah good uh
0: so i want to give everybody out there just that's listening so we as rescue swimmers in the coast guard they're actually that is where they have uh advanced rescue swimmer school ARS, which is cape disappointment and they it's more air crew training as well, uh, because of the break that comes off Cape Disappointment, and when you get it's the Columbia River barge and meets the Pacific Ocean, and it is one of the most deadly uh, river entrances in the country, uh, if not the most deadly on the West Coast. If I'm correct, me if I'm wrong there, Tom. Well,
1: yeah, and that's where it's earned the uh, the name, the Graveyard of the Pacific.
0: Uh, totally. And it is gnarly. And I, I've been there, I've been out there twice for advanced swimmer school and I have swam when breakers that are easily 15 plus feet that are, that are coming over your head and you're like, Oh, Oh, that was fun. I was in a dishwasher <laughs> or a washing machine for a minute. And now I'm out. <laughs> so oh, no. uh, I, I wanted to touch on that because when you said, Oh, I just went to, uh, you know, surfing school or, I mean, that, that's actually kind of a big deal for you guys.
1: No, it is. It is. It, it's a. Uh, it was. It's a lot. It's a. It's. It's a lot of fun. A lot of intensive training that they crush into a, a few week period, a couple week period, just so they can get you as much time on the wheel, in the yeah. c- those conditions as they can before they send you back to your unit where you actually earn your qualification as surfer. Nice. So it's, okay. uh, it it was a lot of fun. I remember the first day, they uh, we went in. They did their introductions. They went and we got. Uh, they gave us our own, uh, rescue gear, for while we were there. And then they told us that we we're going to go do our PT test, and then from the PT test, they took put us on two, uh, three lifeboats, sent us over to Waikiki Beach, is what they call. They uh, right underneath the uh, the head there. Okay. And uh, we went out, and they said, "Swim to the beach." I said, "Okay, cool." So they jumped <laughs> off, and and uh, we swam to the beach. The first, the last thing they said to us is, "Swim over there towards the cliff so that you ain't you end up on the beach because of the rip currents <laughs> and everything like." Like All right. Didn't think much of it until we got in the water. Like, holy cow, the currents are bad around here.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, but it was fun. It was it, it was a good time. I, I enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Nice. All right. So now uh, I, I totally cut you off there. So you go to keep this appointment as an instructor. Um, no, I was actually
1: or... billeted there as part of the stand team.
0: Oh, OK. Sorry. Stand team. Yeah. And then yeah.
1: you took off and went to where? Honolulu. Went to the district. They made. I uh, had to go work at a staff job. So,
0: lame. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, <and laughs> it is that. what it I is. I, I was in Hawaii. So, I mean, it wasn't okay. too bad. And actually, and then, you know, for having to work in an office that I worked at the federal building, you know, I was kind of out of operations for a while. Um, I was able to kind of get myself into there because once they found out that there was somebody with uh, my particular skill sets there, I was asked to help with, you know, they're already for ops teams and stuff like that. So I still worked my way down towards the boats and got underway when I could, yeah. and uh, and and enjoyed what I could. So, but to, uh, we did uh, did my tour there in Honolulu, and then I got to, I, I was honored with uh, orders to be the commanding officer at Station Golden Gate.
0: Yeah, San Francisco. And, for those that don't know that.
1: Yep. So a station right there, uh, not under the Golden Gate Bridge, but they're on the on the north end, uh, but uh, well within view of the Golden Gate Bridge and was stationed there for three years, and then I worked my way back to Eureka, uh, working as a surface ops up there, assistant surface ops. And uh, while I was there, again, we did some stuff, got to work, uh, play in the old neighborhood, I guess you can say, and yep. work with some really good people there. And then uh, there was a, a need for a uh, temporary fill at Station uh, Noyo River, and there was nobody with the quals and that was the time I was supposed to retire, and so they, they offered me the position to stay there for a year until they could get a senior chief in, and that's what I did, and Then I retired from there.
0: Beautiful. What a career, and, it I, was. It was great. and I am so happy that I, that you and I had a chance to meet in this, this great career that you had, because we certainly had some funds in Eureka twice. I came down to visit in San Francisco once. Uh, came down to see your retirement, which I was very humble to be invited to. So thank you. It was, it was a blast. So, oh, yeah. um, but now, all right, so now I'm going to move forward a little bit and ask you, I, I know you remember. So what is your very first SAR case?
1: So my first SAR case, uh, and forgive me if it gets a little long winded, was that station on Quatt River. Um, yeah. I'd been that I'd been at the unit. I reported on December 3rd, 1988, and uh, immediately was thrown into my mess cooking duty. So, watch for those that don't know washing dishes and at you the time, start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so you, you do, you absolutely do. And I, and I for whatever reason, I'm Paul River, I washed an awful lot of dishes the first six months I was there. Could have been attitude, it <laughs> could have been a bunch of other things. But uh, so, I was washing dishes all of December, and they had a couple small cases that I, you know, I, I watched and everything like that. And I was trying to earn my uh, communications watch qualification and tower watch qual. back then before we kind of merged everything into comms we had two separate things two separate training things and they were all done in-house so each unit was responsible for those qualifications um not like a a, a localized pqs but you each each unit developed their own for these two beginning uh, quals anyway uh, I spent a lot of time washing dishes and did get to work on my quals a whole lot. So I didn't know a whole lot about what was going on when they would launch for their cases. And then in January, I was all excited to, to uh, start my break-in so I could do what I needed to do. Anyway, the kid that was next to Mesco, he got hurt. So they threw me back into washing dishes for a second month. Yeah, it was lovely. And so about three, three, the end of January, so I've got about uh, seven weeks of washing dishes under my belt. <laughs> And it was the end of January. And I remember the watch stander calling me up and saying, Hey, we're at, we don't have enough people here right now. Uh, Can you drive up and relieve the tower, have the, bring the tower down for the night? And I said, sure, not a problem. So it gets me off the station gets me to get, you know, get out and about. And so I get the keys to the GV and I'm heading up there just before I left. I remember the watch stander telling me, he said, you can't close the tower Tell the watch stander, they can't close the tower till the last boat crosses the bar. Okay. So we drive, I drive up there and I knock on the door and, uh, the watchstander lets me in and they're like, it's about time. And I'm like, well, you can't come down until the last boat crosses the bar. And I could see the boat coming in there at the tips of the jetty and I'm watching it. And the swells were really, really big that day, but it looked like they'd timed it, you know, looking back, understanding all of it now, it looked like they'd timed the, the series pretty well.
2: Okay. And,
1: uh, the boat appeared to slow down there right at the tips of the jetty. And I don't know why. And it got in maybe a hundred yards or so. And then the Umpqua river jetty there at the, uh, on the South side, it kind of toes in towards the North a little bit. So there's just a slight cut like a, anyway, like
0: a, break, like a wave break.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, it's a, just the design of it. The, so the jetties were designed. There was a, a triangle portion put in after.
0: And oh, so okay. just kind
1: of the way the, the, the triangle way, it closed it up on the river How that married in there, it just kind of changed the the look of the tip of the jetty. I always noticed it when we were out there. Okay. Anyway, uh, this individual that was on watch is like, I'm done. I'm hungry. I want to get out of here. And I remember that I was looking out the window and this massive swell came up from the back end of this uh, commercial crabber, grabbed it and pitch pulled it up onto the jetty. And I was like, holy crap, that boat just hit the rocks. And I yelled at the watchstander, I said, call the station, let them know, let them know. And the watchstander first looked down, you know, to verify what I was was seeing, because obviously all I do is wash dishes. And at the (laughs) same time, because this tower, it it was called a tower, but it was actually a lookout. It was, this one was located, this was the winter lookout, and it was located up there by housing, military, uh, government housing.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, the duty, one of the duty, one of the surfmen that was there at the time happened to see what I saw literally kicked the door open to the to the room says where's that damn boat?" And I said it's on the rocks and all I heard was his hopped up El Camino flying down the road and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute I can get out on one of these boats so I left the watchstander there and the watchstander called and let it you know they'd hit the alarm down below and so I'm driving back in the GV and sure enough that BM1 he got down there rather quickly and uh, both boats are gone. So I'm sitting there going, dang it, I missed the boat. I'm not going to be able to go out on that. So I hung out there for a few minutes in the watch room, helping out the watch stander, answering, you know, phones that uh, he would forward over to the OD desk and stuff like that and trying to do whatever part I could do. Yeah. Anyway, they said they needed needed a, a beach team. Now, beach teams now have how do you put it there's, there's definite regulations you need to have this equipment this number of people this is what's going to happen all this stuff is going to happen now back then before i knew what was actually supposed to happen it was just kind of like hey who's around and what are we going to do so we had this old yellow we call it the yellow submarine a big old yellow suburban okay and uh, it was just me and so they made a, a pipe for any available hands to come to the watchroom. And this other person showed up, and uh, there was just two of us. And they're like, "We need to get you guys down to the beach, get some ice down on the jetty, and what's going on down at the lower tower." I'm like, "Yeah, hell yeah, I'm game. Let's go."
2: But I'm like, <laughs> at the same
1: time, I'm like, "How do I get there? I've never driven down there. I've never been taken to the tower, the lower tower. I don't even know what." I wash directly.
2: dishes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I wash dishes. So the other person, the other watchstander, knows. I, is like, I've got it. Don't worry about it. And, uh, so, uh, her and I took off and we went to, we, we headed that direction. Now we didn't take any SAR gear. We had radios and we had flashlights. We had one radio and two flashlights and I didn't think anything about SAR gear. Cause I didn't know it was important, you know, had no clue. And, uh, so we go driving out there and we didn't grab the lock, the, the keys to the lock for the lower tower, oh, no. four wheel drive. So I just locked it into four wheel drive and we went wheeling up over some dunes, uh, little Hills and stuff like that. And carved a little path so that we can get to the tower road and, uh, made it all, made it all the way down there. And me and my, you know, my brand new coasty enthusiasm just took off in a dead sprint down to the jetties. And I'm going to run out to the tip of the jetties, the last place I saw the, uh, the boat. Right. And, uh, I remember the the other man there it was with me. She yelled at me, she says, stop, slow down. And I'm like, no, we got to get out there. We got to get out there. And, uh, She's like, wait, you're going to find this going to be difficult. Let's just take our time. We'll we'll get there. I said, okay. So I'm jumping up and down these rocks and these jetty rocks aren't flat. You know, like if you're, you know, at Humboldt, certain areas have like a, an old road that went down there. Yeah. These, these were, you jump up one down on the other, jump up one down on the other. It was It's just a bunch of
0: rocks that make the jetty all the way out. Just.
1: yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So by the time I start the, the run down the, the jetty and I'm focused on, you know, what's going on at the tip of the jetty, the boat had started to slide off the, uh, the, the jetty and was working its way into the water. Both of our lifeboats are there. And I think at that time it was two, maybe three helicopters were from North. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, this was like the, this was, these are the older helicopters, same, obviously body style, but they still had the white and orange paint schemes. And, um. Anyway, so we're, I'm running down there and stuff like that. And I remember yelling and saying, hey, I think I see uh, somebody at the tip of the jetty. And I look back to talk to <laughs> the non was with me, and I can't find her. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and she had the radio. And I'm like, what do I do? All I do is wash dishes. What do I do? Do I keep running out there, or do I run back? So she had the radio. I ran back to her, found her. Um, unfortunately for sure she'd taken a little bit of a slip and fell in between two rocks and had some uh, damage to her leg
2: oh. and so she sat
1: she stayed there she gave me the radio and said just go ahead and run out that direction so as i'm running down that way you know now the boat's in the water i see it floating i can remember seeing the two lifeboats circling around it uh, trying to look for survivors and stuff like that and, and it's breaking bad i mean it's breaking up over the the jetties and we're getting spray i'm not even in a float coat i'm just in my old service station uniforms that they gave us in the in the late 80s oh my gosh uh,
0: so if you get if you get swept off right now you're going into the water no life jacket yep oh my
1: gosh but i had no idea and you know it was one of those (laughs) things i I've only been in the Coast Guard a short period of time. Common sense probably would have said you should have been doing something different.
0: No way. Adrenaline anyway. is kicking
1: right now. Let's do this. Oh, adrenaline's <laughs> kicking, 18 years old. And we all joined the Coast Guard for what? We want to make a difference. You want to help people. That's right. that's why you do what you do. And then it just goes to show, if you don't have the training, maybe that person shouldn't be the one that's out there. And that probably should have, would have been me that night. And uh, But anyway, started working my way down there. And uh, I remember the boat going. Uh, calling me on the radio and uh before that happened i remember her telling me you're portable one and i had only talking on a radio at that point in time at boot camp on one of those sound powered phones when they do that drill in class
2: (laughs) and then the cb of course
1: you know running cbs as a kid or whatever the case may be so my, my professionalism on the radio wasn't the best and about 15 20 years later I would visit visited back that station. We used to record everything on uh, cassettes yep. and they were getting, and they were sending everything to archives and they'd found a recording. And I got to hear that recording. And I was like, Oh my God, I sounded like an idiot, but I that's okay. So we're running <laughs> down there. She reminded me that I was portable one and I'm running down the jetty and uh, the boat starts calling. It was the four, four, three, zero, three. The boat starts calling and it says portable one, three, zero, three, nothing. Cause you know, this young kid's not paying attention. And I'm just running. My mindset is to get down that tip of that jetty, just because it looked like there was somebody down there at the time.
2: Yep.
1: And uh, so I'm focused, and a portable 1303, portable 1303. Finally, the spotlight from the 40, 44 hits me. And uh, on the intercom, they said, hey, pick up your radio. And <laughs> of course, there was more colorful <laughs> language on the, on the loud air. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember uh. when I reviewed the tape later on in life, um, my response was obviously it should have been, you know, 303, portable one go ahead. Or three, zero, three, four, one, but it was four, 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 three, 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 zero. What's your number? And I couldn't remember any of that stuff. And they're like, anyway, so they're like, do you see the guy at the end of the jetty? And I'm like, I see something down there. They're telling me to work their way. Well, the helicopter at that point has a rescue swimmer and they're getting ready to lower the rescue swimmer down on the jetty and uh the rescue swimmer did a phenomenal job got down there picked the package the 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 one survivor that we had and uh took him up and then they took him to the nearby hospital and it was all wrapped up by the time i got even close to the to the jetty so i really had no bearing i just remember being told turn around and get back to safety so i'm like okay so i turned around i start running down the jetty rocks back the other direction I found my, my shipmate and, uh, was, I was helping her to the GV, um, the station called up and they had an actual qualified, uh, beach party at that point in time. Yeah. And, uh, they're like, we need the, the government vehicle back, bring it back. I said, Roger, we're, we're on our way. We just need to, uh, I just need to help our shipmates, you know, to, to get to the truck. And, um they could it's not to say harassed but they were pressuring and i remember her telling me she says just go come back for me don't forget that i'm here i said you got it so the adrenaline <laughs> gets in i run back I get the ah. i'm get i driving back and the xo is actually driving his personal vehicle with a, a bunch of uh, guys in the uh in the back of his truck and they flag me down i get in the xos vehicle they all take off in the in the suburban and off they go to do the coast guard stuff they take me back and now i'm going to go help the uh The watch standard and the rest of the night right so i'm sure you can't kind of get where this is going so i'm I'm sitting there in the watch room and i'm helping him organize all of his uh, paperwork and stuff and both boats are outside you know well one's inside doing a search one's outside doing a search uh later they did recover the boat that was outside recovered one Of the individuals, and uh, because it was so rough, they ended up going down to Coos Bay. But it's a nice progressing, and I'm helping the watch Standard. I'm learning an awful lot and trying to figure out how things work. And as we're getting all this paperwork, I just had this epiphany a few hours later and going, Oh crap, I left Demon So so at the tower, <laughs> and uh, I got chewed out.
2: Oh and my gosh, get like,
1: out there right now, go pick him up pick her up. So I drove out there. She'd actually worked her way up to the top of the tower, you know, and stayed inside the, in the tower. And, uh, and I'm not sure how she even got in there because I don't remember us having keys, but, uh, <laughs> I helped her down the tower, put her in the TV. We went back to the station and you can see she was an obvious pain. So they made me take her to the uh, hospital and I had to sit with her the rest of the night as my penance for forgetting her. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, it, you know, it's, oh it's one gosh. of those things. You know, and it's, it's, you know, unfortunately there was loss of life and, and, uh, you know, I felt really bad because the gentleman, one of the gentlemen was really big in the community. I learned much later. And uh, that boat was a very well known boat.
2: Wow. In that
1: area. And there was, you know, there were, there were some great people. You know, I, I learned about them after the fact because I was obviously so new there. But yeah. uh, it kind of goes to show, you know, I mean, I had all the right, the intentions were there and everything I wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I almost became a bigger liability obviously in that whole situation because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. I didn't have the training yet. I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have any of that. And a lot of our training at that time at that station probably was, uh, um, I'm not going to say lacking. It just wasn't directed in the right areas. And, yeah. but I also don't think that they were expecting to grab a mess cook and throw him into this kind of stuff right away.
2: Right. Um, right.
1: But, uh, but you know, it is what it is. And and thankfully, no injuries occurred for us and our Coasties that night.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, other than the one knee injury and uh, and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting evening. Um, that The, the bosun mate that kicked the door in later on became on, became Chief uh, Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. Uh, uh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, one of my BM1s that was there at the time and great guy. And I learned an awful lot from him the, the rest of that tour there. And then I was stationed with him later in Eureka so awesome. but uh yeah so that was my that was my first sar case i mean eventful yes uh what you don't do absolutely <laughs> uh for the most part and uh at least on my part i mean the the guys that were out on the boat that day yeah. um they did a great job um the ones that uh they got stuck outside um they were uh, uh they got a pretty good beating. i remember one of them was uh uh, a really good friend of mine. I remember when he got back? Uh, they drew, because they left the boat down at Coo's Bay. The guys came back by vehicle, and uh, he came and he's like, man, that was intense. Um, they they took a break, and I believe it ripped the 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 mast had a, a small bracket originally okay. on the back of the stage, and the brake ripped the bra uh, tore the bracket, and the mast came down crashing down. So they had to lash that down, and uh, I believe they also said that one of the running lights, and these were before they went to the the plastic lights that were on the running lights. They had these, we had these brass ones that had really thick glass in them for running lights. And uh, one of those got shattered. So that's, there was quite a bit of force in the waves that they were taking when they did recover the, the one person from the boat. But uh, yeah, he told me all about it. Like I said, those guys all did a great job and I, I learned an awful lot from that night. And it kind of forged what I was going to do and yeah. who I was going to be, my crew and how I was going to look at, train once i once i understood everything it, it really really kind of developed who i was and how i was for training equipment safety you know all that stuff and what was going to happen and how things were going to how you go about training people how you introduce them into the coast Guard, and what they're to expect when they first get to their unit and and stuff like that yeah so wow. but yeah that was my that was my first case what a good
0: one man what a way to get uh, introduced to to like just thrown right into the blades that's awesome
1: Oh, it was. I mean, like I said, I wish it would have turned out a lot better, a lot different, you know, for the for obviously for the those that uh, we lost that day. But yep. uh, and for the families. But, um, you know, like I said, it's that's you join the Coast Guard. At least most of the people I've ever run across. It's we all the, the common denominator for all of us is wanting to help others. And whatever you do, whether you're aviation or you're, you're your surface side of the house, you, everybody that joins pretty much wants to help others. And, and, uh, that's what I got to do. I was like, this is exciting.
0: Man, that's, that's awesome. Well, you, uh, so you have a couple other ones that, <laughs> that, you know, I want to ask about. So sure, some, some of your, just, just, I'll, I'll take, uh, let's see, I'll take any of your top five.
1: Any of my top five.
0: <laughs> yeah. Top five. Um, members.
1: Wow. That's, <laughs> There's a lot of them out there. Here's one for you. So this was, oh, my goodness. This must have been right around 2000, and I was stationed in Brookings, Station Checo River. And uh, we were doing the Station Checo River and Station Coos Bay have what we call the summer patrols. So for us at Checo River, we have the Rogue River Patrol. And it was opened up basically from Memorial Day through Labor Day weekend. Um, usually a week after, so depending on traffic and how much boating traffic you had on the river or out on the ocean. Um, but I was in charge of the the, the summer of the Sardet, or I was running a duty section at this particular year, so it might have been 99, anywhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Anyway, we just uh, it was Memorial Weekend, and uh, we were we'd been there a couple of days early, getting the trailer all set up, and uh, that we're in transition at that time from the 44s to the 47s, and we did there weren't enough hauls around so we had a boat called a seventh it was a zodiac it was a 733 you know fiberglass hull sponson boat 250 johnsons and it had what's called a rewriting bag up on top so if the boat was to roll over you had the ability to pull a cord flip it back over start it up and hopefully get to safety or do whatever you got to do
2: wow um, cool and,
1: the started with, and we, had, we had two of those one was fiberglass and one was aluminum um they were initially tested up in newport Yukon uh, Bay and then we ended up with one for the Sardet because there weren't enough holes steel holes or aluminum holes with the 47 for the Sardet so we had this boat because it was a surf capable boat uh, because of the the way the Canadians were using it this was a big platform for them and uh, myself and a couple others were sent up to uh Victoria British Columbia and uh for what they called their riot school which is a rigid hull uh operators training or and, okay, I can't remember the actual acronym but it was their riot school so we went up there to learn how to drive their boat nice. for a few weeks and uh, it was a great time they taught us some stuff and uh, it was it was neat to see what that boat could actually do and handle and what the Canadians will put those boats through um, and their philosophies versus the uh, the United States Coast Guard philosophy <laughs> I remember before I go back to the case I, I remember that we we had this drill where they had this, the surge was so bad up in, up in the area we were operating that uh, there, was this there was a cove and they would we would basically ride the surge into this cove and then we'd have to hit that co- surge right on out and bunny hop the boat out of this cove. And <laughs> I remember saying, well, what if we hit the rocks and we break the boat? Do I lose my letter? And they're like, no, we'll just get another boat. And I'm like, really? wow that's a lot different than what we do down south i said okay cool so i did it the first time and i'm like can i do it again i'm like they're like sure so i did it again can i do it again like sure so i I did like five six times like enough somebody else has to drive but you know when you don't get those opportunities to try to see what the boat will do and then they they teach you it was kind of fun to see what it did wow anyway that's cool okay yeah so flash forward we're uh memorial weekend and uh we had some people that just stopped by the trailer and the, the barge started getting really bad, and uh, we had a lot of traffic on the river that day because it was kind of opening weekend, and um, it was a beautiful day. I remember it was bright blue sky out, and but the, the swell was picking up, and it was breaking on the Rogue River on the south half. Now, the Rogue River has, um, still to this day, there's a gravel bar towards the tips of the jetty that covers. Depending on the how well your winter was for river flow it either half of it or three quarters of it and this particular year it was stretched out like three quarters so the actual channel was very very narrow it was deep because of all the water runoff but it was very narrow and the breaks would happen at the north tip of the jetty and then down on the south and it was starting to peak up in the channel where you would cross the bar
0: okay
1: and so we were working on getting bar restrictions and uh, we turned on the the light the rough bar warning light and started making some broadcasts that you know the conditions were deteriorating and stuff like that and i remember that uh, mind you this is a trailer this isn't like a regular station this is like a, a single wide trailer with a you know <laughs> with with a shed to it and that's all we sat in this summer. but i was sitting at the back window at the back door but i could actually see out the front door straight down the north jetty and uh I remember my watchstander almost simultaneously as I see the flash of the sunlight hitting a uh, a window of a boat. Yeah, and my watchstander goes, "We got a guy getting ready to cross the bar." So I yell, I yelled at him. I said, "Just you know, get on the radio, tell him to stay off. You know, stay outside. We're coming out." And told my engineer light the boat off. Mind you, we had a few people that were visiting and checking things out that were you know because it's an opening weekend and see what's going on. And so my engineer runs down, we grab our gear, we're lighting off the boat. And it's literally as we're casting off the lines, the watchstander uh, yelled down that, uh, the boat had capsized on the bar. Uh, so here we go. Yeah. And, uh, and we don't know how many people are in the water. He never got hold of them. He just saw the, the, the capsize. So we go flying around the corner and one of the engines just started just shaking out of control. And I had to bring it back. And we it, it just died on us. I couldn't get it started. And I looked at the engineer and I said, these people are going to die. What? Yeah, I said, "We're if we don't go. And he's like, well, let's go. I said, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make our approach, keep it bow in. Then we're going to head offshore until we can either get it fixed or we're going to take these people back down to Brookings. Um, anyway, so at least that was the initial plan. And uh, it so happened at the same time, there was a, I guess there was a, display thing going on with the helicopter down in Brookings at one of the parks. So there was a crew actually on their way back to North Bend from Brookings at the time that it happened. So they diverted to come assist us. So we get out there and sure enough, there's the hole and uh, we get to the first person, we pull them on board and there was, we found out there was a total of six people on there and one of them was a kid. And so we grabbed the first one and then we went to the hole and that's where the kid was at. We grabbed the people that were on that and then we could see that people were getting sucked out into the brakes in on the South side around the jetty. Okay, So we made, a, we made a run in and, uh, real quick. And the engineer that I had, he saw the light. and He later became a bosun mate and, uh, and, and, and a really good bosun mate at that time, but he was a, a massive human being. And if it weren't for him and his pure strength and we were plucking the people as fast as we could out of the water, well, his two to my one. And, uh, <laughs> So we get them all? We go hit all the, on
0: the boat. Go hit the gym back. there, Tom.
1: Oh yeah, I should get back. I should have got back in the day. But uh, so we get the we get we're getting them on the boat. So we pull the last person. I see somebody else in the water. I'm like, we got everybody. And I realize it's the rescue swimmer had deployed from the helicopter. And I looked out. I remember looking at said, Hey, you want to ride in? And he looked at me, shook his head, no, no. And so the helo moved up. I moved offshore. <laughs> And uh, in deeper water and uh, the, the kid and one of the other guys was pretty bad off. And, uh, and the, there was something about the heel of the hoist. Wasn't going to be a, 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 I don't know if they didn't have the right gear. I, I just remember there was something about it. it. The safest thing for me was to go ahead and make an inbound run. So we timed a couple series, had a good, had a good time on it. And since I only had one engine and now we were weighted down, I just made a run from way offshore and got my speed up. And then uh, once I got my speed up, we uh, ran in, came across with no problem whatsoever, went over to the uh, boat ramp. Ambulance was waiting, a couple of them. We passed everybody off. The, uh, my engineer was working on the engine at the time, and uh, there was some wire issues that he fixed right there on the spot. And literally, as he got the wires fixed on the radio, we get mayday, 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 going on the rocks, Rogue River Reef.
0: Oh, my so gosh.
1: we quickly dropped these guys off. Got the boat running, zipped on out, get out to the Rogue River Reef, expecting the worst case because we'd lost calms with them. Uh, crossed the bar again. It was breaking pretty bad. Uh, zipped out to the reef. And then I find this guy and he is literally in kelp. I mean, a massive bed of kelp. Really? And he's nowhere near the rocks. Yes, screaming mayday that he's drifting towards <laughs> the rocks. He was live fishing and everything over there, doing that live fisheries. Anyway, so I'm like, <laughs> is this you yelling mate Day? He's like, yeah. He goes, I'm drifting towards that rock. I'm like, okay. How did you get in there? Did you drift in there? He goes, no, this is where the fish are. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I got to get in there to you. And it's kelp everywhere. So we shut our boat down, raised up the outboards, paddled in, clipped the skiff hook, paddled out with him in tow, got into where we weren't to, in kelp anymore. And he was a really heavy boat and there was no way I was going to get him safely across the bar. So a boat from Checo river came up the hill and uh, we met him at Cape Sebastian and passed off the tow. And then we worked our way back in, man. We were, we were spent that day when it was all said and done.
0: Wow. And, Dang, but, yeah, man.
1: This, that everybody lived. There was everybody survived. There was no problems and stuff like That's that. Awesome. and yep. uh, It was really good. But it was, the funny thing was, is two weeks later we could hear, I was, uh, in brookings uh i think we just relieved the watch and i was down there and we hear station humble bay working a case in the surf and it's like oh my god they got a capsize there themselves has been a busy you know busy start to the summer and then they then they they called out the the boat it's this oregon registered boat and i'm like wait a minute and i remembered a couple of the numbers of the boat that had capsized because we wrote it down, uh, we couldn't. We didn't tow it back in. They were just doing a broadcast on it. Yeah, that boat had made it all the way down to Eureka, flipped back over in the surf on the beach, and beached oh. itself. So oh, those guys got their no. they got their boat back. A few weeks later, the engine was still on it, and all of their fishing gear was still just shoved up inside one of the compartments.
0: <laughs> wow! Yeah, they got
1: their boat back. But nice. yeah, it was pretty good with it the good thing is obviously there was nobody in danger that when right, found
0: right. Out totally. our boat
1: Dang, yeah, that was, kind of, that was kind of weird to know that the boat made it all the way from gold beach oregon all the way around point saint george down south and to eureka
0: geez oh man
1: wow, wow that was one i mean like i said i I've, I've been kind of thinking about this since we talked and there's a lot of cases out there and there's a, there's a lot of really good ones and I've I've watched a lot of people, you know, pull off some stuff that is like, wow, that's pretty amazing boat driving and stuff like that. So yeah, but, but uh, that was one that I figured it was kind of neat. It was kind of two cases that combined into one.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, when you when you have those, even for us Airedales, when you go out and you finish it, and you come back and land, and then you hear that alarm go off again, it, it's you know, I, I see it quite often. Like our job, just because we get back, it our job's not over. We're still on, dude. Yeah. We're still on call.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, we were expecting after that first case to go back, clean up, put everything together and get the yeah. boat ready for the next call and all that, which yeah. would have taken us a while. Even though it was a small Zodiac, you still have stuff you have to do. Plus, you know, make sure the engines are good. Right. And then you have that other one, which drags it out a couple more hours and your, your second adrenaline dump, you know, within a short period of time yeah. hits. So when you when we came back after that second one, you know, that rest of that <laughs> night, we're like, whew. Kind of tuckered out.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: But, but totally. yeah, thankfully the rest of the day was pretty quiet. Um, wow. And, uh, but it, like I said, it, it, it all worked out. It was a, it was a good case. And that was one for, you know, like I talked about earlier, the training and the equipment and all that other stuff, our equipment had progressed quite a bit. Now we had an incident where we lost an engine, but we had to make a call when we talked about it. And we both knew the risks that were, you know, there. It was, you know, yeah. if we don't try something, then they are going to die. If we do something, then we can make a difference. And then we even had a backup plan that we knew that with the size of the brakes that were out that day, that if I needed to ride that boat in to the beach, I could ride that boat into the beach, not a problem. You yeah. know, and it just, just things about the equipment that we knew and we practiced and we trained for, you know, it was uh, did we take a little bit more risk than normal? Yes. Did we pass it on to the, to the station and let them know that we were doing it? Absolutely. And we didn't get any pushback, and the master chief that I had at the time, he didn't push back. He let us do what we we trained to do and what we wanted to do. So,
0: wow, incredible! Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's kind of it's awesome. kind of it's kind of neat how things progressed in your career.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, man, freaking awesome job! Awesome stories. Thank you for sharing those. I appreciate. it. Oh, anytime, anytime. Um, well, I so I, I want to bring it back to a little bit of you and I, and one of the sure. things that I I want to I like the fact that you and I get to talk about this is the aviation world and the boat world and and how much what people don't understand is how much we actually work together. Um, you know, you had mentioned it both those cases you had uh, air assets on, you know, there and mm-hmm. whatnot. and um, while we were in Humboldt, well, every air station I've been to, but we have a boat unit that we conduct helo ops too, uh, or boat ops too, for us, it's, you know, we're going to do boat ops for you guys. It's going to do helo ops. It's the exact same thing on, on one end versus the other. And um, so the first thing I want to talk about is getting into a little bit of our training, you know, and that is that, um, you know, when, when we come out to do our boat ops and stuff, it's hoist operators, it's rescue swimmers that are getting hoisted down to these 47 footers. And, you know, there's, there's stuff on board that we can get caught on. And I remember specifically being in Humboldt getting hoisted down to one of the vessels and the hoist operator was not quite paying attention, or we didn't have quite enough forward airspeed. And next thing you know, my feet are going up over my head and my head's going into the water behind the boat because I didn't quite land on the boat. And right. it happens all the time. So from your end on the boat, let's what I wanna what I want to get to everybody is this is this is what the boat guys deal with all the time and go.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, we've had this discussion before about, uh, you know, when we were both stationed down there in training and training and all this other stuff. And, you know, the training has come a long way with Hilo ops over the years. Um, you know, the platform is a little different with the 47 versus the 44 or even the 52 that we have up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, the 47 is really has a limited space on the aft deck, so it's kind of yeah. it's it's tight, it's very very tight. And I know that the the flight mech's and the pilots and the swimmers they have a much smaller target. Um, we think on the boat it's a big target, but you know I <laughs> I've seen the perspective looking out the door going, yeah, that's a pretty small target. Yeah. Um, but when you're down on the ground, it looks a lot bigger. But uh, you know the biggest thing is communication. And the the conversations that we have prior to the hoisting with the pilots when they do the brief and they talk about the you know the safety aspects, the breakaway if something gets snagged, what we're going to do, how <laughs> things are going to happen. Because um, once that brief is over, communications becomes the biggest obstacle and everything because you have the helicopter hovering over the top of the of the lifeboat right. and the, the, the just the the sheer noise from the helicopter. You can't hear what's going on. I mean, I can literally be standing next to another crewman and screaming in their ear and they'll look at me like, what? And yeah. it's like, you know, so a lot of times hand signals are what's, you know, what's used. And then looking up at the flight mech and seeing how the flight mech is, uh, what they're doing, where they're at and how they're guiding, you know, the, the basket down, or the swimmer down or the stokes litter down. And then the pilot and see where the helicopter, where it is in relations to the boat, you know, as the helicopter makes its approach up on the boat to lower the basket or, you know, put the basket in position Then they back away and they do their thing, which makes it a little easier. Then they come back over the boat and complete the hoist and stuff. So just kind of where the the helicopter is oriented in, in relation to the boat, you know, it kind of tells you a story of what's next, what to expect, what to watch for. Right. Um, And if you get a seasoned pilot or, you know, a seasoned flight mech and a seasoned boat crew, then it, it's pretty smooth. It's pretty neat to watch. It's it's quick to watch. But when you have those aspects where, you know, you have new say a new boat crew and they're not really sure what to do. So, you know, sometimes uh, they, they'll pull too hard on a cable. And I remember when I first started, you know, there was no the training was minimal, even though we were really close to an air station. The training was minimal. We, I don't remember doing a whole lot of helicopter ops at first. Um, and then it kind of got progressively better, but, uh, pre-brief, I mean, um, I remember the coxswain telling me the boot crewman saying, yeah, helicopters make an approach, just be ready. Okay. Oh, thanks for the advice. <laughs> what, what, what happens if this happens? Well, that'll be a bad day. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that will, will be a bad day. So what, what, what do I do? You know, I mean, asking a lot of questions, which probably got me washing a lot more dishes because I asked a ton of questions. Um, but these are the things that you needed to know and and, and, it, and the training was a little subpar when i first came in and it progressively got better you know as, as as things happened and unfortunately when you know when we have mishaps in the service uh, which we're gonna get happened. into one of them for sure right and then lessons learned happened and then from there we figure out you know how to do business better and unfortunately it's that's it, usually what kind of stokes the fire for getting those changes yeah. Um, sometimes it's some, sometimes there's people leadership. That's very receptive to hearing like, Hey, these guys see an issue. They see a problem. Let's talk about it and fix it. Um, but a lot of times just because of the nature of our job, it's just, they just go Oop, had an accident. This is what we learned. This is what we, this is how we're going to fix it. And I know in the lifeboat community that they've been working for, for a long time, trying to adapt some sort of uh, communication systems and the helmets and yeah. everything. But the environment is just so hard on that equipment. It makes it so difficult to have anything, and to be tethered with a mic to say a, a jack on the boat—that's yeah. another hazard, you know—that that you just can't afford to have um, when you're down down below. And I and I think like you're. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong again. I haven't spent a whole lot of time in helicopters, but uh, you know when your headsets you're, you're plugged into communications. Correct, and so you
0: Thanks. are literally you have your helmet on, so you've got your the noises is uh, really canceled around you. And right. you, you're in an, that intercommunication system between the pilot and the crew member all the time. And, and we're having a normal conversation like you are right now with right. the volume turned up a little bit with the aircraft. With you yeah, guys we, down on a boat, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, we don't have that. We don't have that no. luxury. I mean, nope. we went from uh, motorcycle helmets, old 1970s motorcycle helmets, <laughs> to basically a uh, kayak style helmet. Yep. And then we have these newer ones, but they're. Still open so you're it can breathe, and, and it's just right. it's because when you're out there for a long period of time wearing a helmet, it, it is uncomfortable and you it's just fatigue that you don't need, right? So, I know that they're working on stuff, and they tried when it when I was at the at Cape Disappointment up there at the lifeboat school on the stand team. Um, they had a communications system that they adapted, I believe it was from the army from like the Bradley vehicles or something. Yeah. Anyway, they were testing on one of the boats, and uh. I had transferred out before I heard what was going on, but it never hit the fleet while I was still in. So I, I'm sure that they were still working on it or coming up with some other options at the time. So, but I know that there, that's been one of the biggest obstacles to overcome. and It's probably the it's, Obviously, the most difficult one. So yeah. hard to say where they're going to go with it. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm technically challenged when it comes <laughs> to this kind of stuff. So you know, when they give it to me and then I figure it out, then I'm good. But uh, yeah. to actually develop it in my own mind, I'm I'm, I'm not that guy. So, but well,
0: uh, there but there are a couple of great points that you bring up, and I, I think this is a lot of uh, where air crewmen they need to know this, and that is you when you have guys that you're training with a quite a bit, like Tom, like I said, you and I trained a lot together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, for me, I was, I would actually come down to the boat station. I would jump on the boat with you. You'd take me out through the brakes. The next thing you're we're outside the jetty and I'm jumping off the boat to get in the helicopter. And that's how we did our ops because they've got too many people in the aircraft. They're trying to train guys. So sometimes we had two swimmers that would go out. We'd both jump off the boat. Um, that happened all the time to have that's guys. Different. Yep. Go ahead.
1: No, as you say, it's funny you say that because the places that I have been the most successful in ho- hoisting and having that relationship have been the stations that I've been in close proximity to an air station where you have that option to uh, work with them on a regular basis. Like Coos yeah. Bay and Eureka were two of the two of the, the prime ones. Now, early on in my career in Coos Bay, there was always the aviation versus a surface world you know hey our world's better than your world hey you don't understand where we're coming from we don't understand where you're coming from and i remember my co like i'm done with this so he introduced the cross training that was the first time i was ever exposed to that so we as the boat drivers and stuff would go to the air station we'd get up we'd fly every once in a while watch some hoists or do something like that or we'd go work in the command center you know to have aspects from the radio watches at the time this is before the operational specialists this is when we still had rms and and, and, and radio men and stuff like that in the, yeah. uh, in the, in the watch rooms. And so that actually helped out tremendously, w- whether we would admit it or not, it tremendously helped out. And then you flash forward up to Eureka and we had a really good relationship between the boat station and the air station. And it was nice because of that relationship that we're like, Hey, you guys need to come out and see what we do. Come on out. So we take yeah. you guys out for training yeah. or just general training and stuff like that. And even when I went back the second time, that was still happening. So that yeah relationship carried out for a long period of time as it still is to this day yeah and uh, it definitely makes the uh, from my perspective on the boat crew side and the and the, the coxswain side is understanding okay this is what's going on so i have somebody that is new at it and they don't know they're like why is this taking forever right for that um, helicopter to yeah. come over here just to put a basket on my boat. And you're like, well, right. this is what they have to do. These are the steps that are going through. This is the safety things. And that remind you, this is training. So it's not a rush. Right. You know, this is what they, they have to get their fuel down their Their weight down to a certain limit. They got to do this, everything. And then yep. sometimes you guys would run drills in the cabin yep. before, you know, lost comms drills and stuff like that before you even start playing with the boat. Right. So, you so know, if you so guys that, are just sitting
0: nice underway just like, waiting waiting not hearing anything
1: yeah, yeah. no i get yeah. it and so being able to explain having that cross training and understanding what was happening in the helicopter yep. allowed the boat coxswains or even the senior crewmen to explain to the newbies this is what's going on and this is why it's happening and this is what's going to ha- this is what's going to happen next so be prepared they'll be back in 15 minutes 20 minutes and we'll, yeah. we'll start on for <laughs> and they'll be like okay now you know most of the time, it was like, okay, that's great, but then you'd always have that newbie that, uh, you know, wasn't uh, how do I put it, used to the environment yet, <laughs> and so they were queasy and they yeah. get sick. And the, the 15 minutes seemed like four hours to them for yeah. training evolution. Yeah. And in their mind, they'll never, they'll never get it in their mind that it's a good, it's okay, it's all right. Yeah. We'll build yeah. up a tolerance for yeah. this; you'll be fine. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know that, that that relationship is, I think, is very, and then I'm sure other air stations and stations, you know, I'm. I'm limited to my west coast point of view but i can almost guarantee that that same thing is happening on the east coast the great lakes the gulf coast everywhere i mean and the stations that are closer probably have a better relationship than those that are further away and have less of a chance to do more hoists like i was talking about brookings oregon right north bend north bend was our our air station but they were we were the furthest away so by the time we did a very few helo ops with them or training uh, training points with them because by the time they got down there, they maybe get one hoisted, have to go refuel, then time limits, bag limits. By the time they got back, it just it wasn't advantageous for them to come train with us. I yeah. mean, it was for us, but not them. But then, then we started partnering with Humboldt Bay because Humboldt Bay was a little bit closer, right? And, and they could, could get well they days.
0: could go refuel in Crescent City too, which was nice,
1: right? And so that was yeah. that was that made it a little, a little easier. So uh, we were able to get some more hoists from a station that's so far away from air stations. Um, Still probably not enough, you know, and I'm sure people are going to hear this, are going to roll their eyes, like really one is enough, but you know, it's, uh, (laughs) but uh, no, probably still not enough, you know, to be proficient at it. But, uh, but as we cycle through all the stations and everything like that, you get people that have a lot of experience. Yeah. with heel, voice training and stuff.
0: And I talk about that uh, in an earlier um, podcast episode with a buddy of mine. You know, there's proficiency and then there's currency. And there is a difference right. between the two. So, oh, yeah, big difference. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to touch on two things, like I said, with the communications part of It's sure. the great part with us being able to, to work together so closely. And as much as we did, you know, there's there are hand signals that um, I know that I was showing some of your guys – on deck when the basket would come down that ready for pickup you know how to hold the cable so it's not around anything keeping the basket away from gear and i remember specifically teaching some of those young guys you know hey Mm -hmm. this is what i'm doing as a swimmer let me help you out and and those guys were very appreciative of that um and then i learned a lot from you specifically about just how the boat's operating what you guys are doing you know when when things are changing and whatnot which is really good um the other thing is, and maybe some, we're going to announce it here and maybe somebody else can go with it, but there are wireless ICS systems to helicopters and I'm using them now. Axness has one of them. Uh, TrueLink is another, but basically there is a possibility. If you had some sort of a waterproof headset, you could connect and you would be on ICS with us in the aircraft. Oh, wow. So if you're within a, a certain range, you know it kicks off after maybe a half mile. I, I don't know exactly the range, but you know all of a sudden the helicopter's right over the top of you, and now you're on ICS with us versus trying to do radio calls. You're actually listening to all the checklists in the air while you're mm-hmm. on the boat. So the technology is definitely there, and and maybe that's that's something that any agency that is looking to do boat operations that's something they can to consider because it is a oh, very smart move. To be in communication with the aircraft itself
1: yeah so. i am I'm, I'm, I'm as a boat driver i don't know how many times i have my head as i'm looking at my compass course and holding on the helm and i got my head as close to the speaker as i possibly can trying to hear any calms that's going on <laughs> you know at some point you have your safety guy who's supposed to be watching the deck is probably sitting down next to the speaker paying attention then slapping you in the leg saying hey this is what's going on. They're making their approach. They're, you know, they're, they're hoisting or they're dropping, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it, you, you, become accustomed to it, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing.
0: Right. Agreed. Yeah. And, they, and and there's a way to and, f- make it better.
1: Yeah. And the only, and the one thing I've learned, learned in my career is there's always a better way of doing business. You yeah. just got to find that way. You got to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, that's why, you know, there's a lot of great minds in the Coast Guard that on, 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 at every level um from the newest person coming to boot camp i mean some of the cadets like, some of the recruits that are coming out of boot camp now have such great education they're so smart yeah. and they bring a bring a perspective that is so fresh a lot different than it was when i, I was washing dishes at my first duty station and running <laughs> like a like a, an idiot up and down the rocks not knowing where i'm going right. but you know what i'm saying the, the 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 caliber of person education of person is de- definitely higher i would say um they you know some of them need to be focused into the coast guard mission and how to you know follow policies and procedures and this that thing. but they bring a perspective where they can look at things especially in in this technical world and look at stuff like maybe hey this this would work better for us right Right. you know i'm probably still going to be using a cup and a a string and talking to somebody from one room to another i don't know
0: (laughs) know, hey if it works use it
1: (laughs) yeah you know that's, that's what it is but that's, and then, and then I've I've seen guys in the aviation world, especially rescue swimmers, because I talk to them all the time and everything I did, and they they brought up some great ideas for you know the boat side, and it's like oh wow okay that 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 makes sense, yeah. and uh, you know when you when you get stuck in a world for so long and you get your blinders on, right. it's hard to see that perspective, and if you're not in, until you're willing to listen, and yeah. you know and I know that the the focus in the Coast Guard is listen to outside people, you know to kind of get perspective and you know take what you can and grow so yeah yeah no that's that's good i think that training is huge hugely important yeah. for the Q communities
0: yeah very much so and, and you know so i'm going to divert into um a case that i had off humble which i was able oh. to no not 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 that one yet this is the one you and i talked about earlier so okay. both boats taking on water we get launched out and both the small boat station your small boat station and myself uh, we're we're on our way um, and like you said earlier, you were not on the ship or you're not on the small boat for this one. Um, right. But so our helicopter takes off and we get on scene and we circle around and it's like, okay, these guys need some dewatering pumps. They're still on, you know, one guy's on board, another guy's in a raft, you know, just tethered to the boat. And they're like, okay, just in case. Well, we go to start our approach down to the vessel and we over torque the aircraft, which basically means we pulled too much power on the engines and we over torque the gearbox. Well, now we're out of business. So the nose drops and we fly away. We have to go back to the air station. We have now broken our aircraft. So in the meantime, you guys are motoring up with a 47 and the prop or props, plural, whatever had gotten caught in some grab traps. Then you guys got delayed. So now we're back at the air station. You guys are delayed. This boat's still taking on water. So out of the uh, the comm center, the this guy that was listening to the radio, he's like, you guys gotta get back out there, get another helicopter. These guys are going under and the small boat's stuck. And we're like, ah. So we uh, we grabbed two deodorant pumps because we had seen it. And now we're gonna take our time. Well, in the meantime, as we get out, you guys cleared out the, the buoys and now all of a sudden, or sorry, the crab traps, And now you guys are motoring and you're just about on scene. Now you're on scene. Now we're coming on scene. And the greatest part about it is that both the aviation and boat world came together to save that boat. You guys had dewatering pumps and your de-watering dewatering pumps are bigger and faster than ours. Um, I don't remember what they throw per gallon. It's something ridiculous. I know that it's like a five horsepower engine with a, Mm -hmm. you know, like freaking. It's a Briggs and Stratton yeah so is ours but ours is only like a one horse <laughs> okay you know we have weight you restrictions in yeah yeah and you, you guys, guys run, run the p5 walker. yeah p5 is yes. on you yeah so those are different dewatering pumps for everybody that doesn't know that out there so but anyway so we drop our pumps what we ended up doing is we dropped our pumps to the 47 foot of the coast guard 47 footer and then they delivered them over to the vessel that was taken on water um good idea, bad idea. It didn't matter. That's the way we went. And that's how the case went. And that boat survived. Everybody came home alive. Property was saved. And it it was a great outcome. Um, It was awesome. So
1: then we get into,
0: go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, as you say, it's funny. You say that uh, right call, bad call, whatever right call, wrong call. You don't know. And that's why, you know, I don't know the aviation community, just like the service community. When you get back from a case like that, you do a a hot wash or debrief. And debrief. you know lessons, All day. lessons learned, lessons yes. learned. Uh, what we did right, what we did wrong, and everybody everybody has an equal say and talk about it. So that if you're something that uh, you know could have worked a lot better, you just you fix it for the next go around.
0: Right. Uh, something that's hard to do with that is putting rank aside, and I highly recommend everybody listening to this when you do a debrief, try to put the rank aside, be a person. Be a man. Be a woman. Be able to step up and say what you liked or didn't like, and make the changes for later. You, and then have, bring rank, rank back into it.
1: You have to. You you have to put the rank aside because you don't open your communication isn't open at that point in time. And a- most, agreed. Most most people most people are are adult enough to go ahead and do that. So
0: yeah, and, and you would hope so. I, I know me personally. I I try to be. I want feedback because I want to be better with everything I do every time. If I mess up. I try to admit I messed up and then I want to be better for the next time and make it perfect next time. So, absolutely. So, um, but that's going to bring me into the next one. And I'm going to, I'm going to divert just a little bit to a case that neither one of us were on. And that was out of okay. Hawaii. There was an incident that where the bat rescue basket got caught on the 47 footer and, it, uh, the cable got taut, cables parted, went up into the rotor head and it, it caused a crash, a fatal, we lost a helicopter uh, out in Hawaii a uh, friend of mine was on that. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you know people that were out there on that one as well.
1: I was actually stationed in Hawaii when that happened. And uh, our office, uh, our commander in our office, was part of the investigation team. And uh, I got I got to, you know, see and hear some of the things that took place yeah. and everything. But it was a definite, uh, it, it definitely shook up the community, the boat, small boat community and the aviation community.
0: Yeah. And... I only want to touch on that for a brief moment because that led to a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we're talking communications and working together as one unit. Now I'm going to bring Mm -hmm. us back to Humboldt. So here we are, we get launched out and I was not on the aircraft with this. One of my friends was um, actually the whole, the whole crew was my friends, but people in the surf, there are people in the surf and tumbling around, Swimmer goes down. Uh, swimmer grabs the one victim, pulls them up to the surf, starting CPR. There's more people in the surf. 47's coming in, but you, the 47 can't get into the, the shore close enough because it's in the breaks right at the beach. Next thing you know, helicopters coming out of the sky and boom, into the water, rolls to the right and sits in the surf. Blades go everywhere. Uh, it, it oh, was, yeah. It was a it was an all bad event. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Tom, you and I were like the first two guys there at the downed helicopter. We
1: were, I think, I think we we're the, for two of the first that were there for on the beach side of the house, other than the swimmer, obviously, and right. and the, a couple crew that I had from the station there. But uh, I was also on the second lifeboat and uh, that was on scene. And I remember that. Uh, we got the call, and yes, they, they, they were trapped between uh, the sandbar and the shore and having a hard time. The lifeboat couldn't get quite into the, where they were located at. right? And uh, and I remember it was just pressed for time, and I was coming up with the second lifeboat. And I remember looking up, and this was before some modifications were made to the, the lifeboat as it is now, and the old radar and everything was tucked inside of a cubby hole. And we'd set up our radar, our rings, and stuff like that. So my plan was to go ahead and run a lateral as far up as I could, and wait for the rip to try to, you know, see if that, that rip would pull the the uh, the people down towards me, and the other lifeboat would stand outside. Anyway, that was our plan as we're as we're moving up. And I remember that uh, the the surfman that was on the first boat, as so I'm getting things set up on our boat before I make my inbound run, and I'm still I'm still a ways away, but I could see the helicopter in the air. And uh, I'm looking down, setting up my rings, and I remember hearing on the intercom, on the, on the radio mic, the surfman from the other boat going, asking uh, the Humboldt Bay, the air station, that uh, how many people were on the helicopter. And uh, I think they said four, and it said, Roger, Hilo's in the surf. And I looked up. I didn't hear it go down. I didn't hear the crash. I didn't see it go into the water. Yeah. And I'm like that, because I was just setting up my rings, and it happened that fast. Yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden I look up and I don't see the helicopter and then, you know, one of the waves rolled through and then you could see it pop up. And, uh, thankfully at the, about that same time, I'm watching first head, second head, third head, the three people that were still on the helicopter yeah. pop up and work their way towards the beach. And, uh, the first boat, uh, stayed behind to watch the rip. Um, we, I think at that time, I think they recovered another person. Um, yeah they had we, we had, had, we had
0: all, like collectively pulled two people out of the surf i think there were four total
1: like, right and the boat and the boat ended up getting a couple um at least one of them i know yeah anyway we worked our way back to the beach and that Humboldt, you know there at the air station it was kind of strange we had a unique beach vessel and vehicles we had Humvee.
0: yes you did
1: and, and <laughs> I had a jeep Kobe, grand
0: cherokee that drove right on the beach yeah, just it, as well just throwing that out there
1: <laughs> yeah but that home bee, that home bee earned its keep that day zipping us yes, back and forth
2: yeah and I remember, I remember
1: we did we didn't really know what was to expect with a helicopter rolling around in the surf at that point in time right um but, but everybody's safe on the beach and stuff like that and we had grabbed uh i remember the master chief had said something about grab all the anchors and the spare line that we have so we had a couple spools of old tow lines that we just swapped out on the lifeboats and we had a couple dozen ha- anchors that were from another thing that was going on uh for uh oh i can't remember what it was but we had a bunch of anchors so we went we drove everything out there and we ended up catching the helicopter we tied off to the landing gear and yep. four point did the the a four point anchor so it'd stop it from rolling around yeah out there in the and, surf.
0: and uh and leaving with the incoming tide
1: yeah and yeah that was, <laughs> was well the tide was the tide was definitely going out yeah. and uh, that was that was the fear i remember that everybody that showed up from the air station like we got to get this thing on the beach as soon as possible yeah. and so we we anchored it for you all and then we just kind of sat back on the dunes waiting for you guys to tell us what you needed yeah. and uh yeah that was a uh, it was an interesting day i think the the interesting part was when the uh the big crane showed up right. and uh, mm-hmm. grabbed it from the rotor head popped it out of the sand and then took it at one mile an hour down the right. beach and, uh, <laughs> mile down the beach and put it on blocks
0: Yep, totally dead yeah yeah. but that was uh that was a day that the the boat world and aviation world came together um and we were tight we were tight that day i i know i was very appreciative of everybody that was there and and helping mm-hmm. out um you know like i said i was not on the aircraft i was not in the boat i was a at that point i was just another coastie that, that showed up to help but i i remember coming up i was the first aviation guy that was on scene at the boat or at the at the helicopter and I'm first thing I did was go to the crew and say are you guys okay does anybody need medical attention or do we need to go to the hospital right now and all of them kind of looked at me like shit our helicopter's in the water but yeah we're good
1: (laughs) I mean obviously after everybody's after everybody is uh you know safe and all that and still trying to figure out how it's going on this is kind of a funny side note is I remember that I remember seeing a few of the the senior Airedale's walking yeah. around just trying to figure out how in the world are we going to get this helicopter, you know, off the beach. Cause it's yeah, not yeah. like there's a parking lot that was right there. It was a mile and a half or so away from the nearest beach point access. Right. So right. other than bringing another helicopter to hoist it out, you know, like some Chinook or something like that, <laughs> so it's doing that, how are we going to do this? And I remember, I remember the master chief uh, talking, I was talking to the master chief and, and, uh, He's like, man, they just don't, they, they don't know what they're going to do. I was like, well, man, it's kind of a tricky, you know, problem here. And I remember them, we walked up to him and uh, she says, you want this thing off the beach? And they're like, yeah. they are like, well, how are you going to do it? And he, he just he goes, don't ask questions. You don't want the answers to. <laughs> they're like, they're like, what? He's like, I'll get this thing off the beach. But they went with their plan and uh, it worked out. <laughs> But it was kind of oh, Massachusetts. <laughs> well, he brought a little levity to the situation because yeah. they were really thinking about. It. I think that kind of helped, you know, yeah. bring spark some ideas and stuff like that. <laughs> partnered with the local mill that happened to have a big crane that was right yeah. there, yeah. And they came down and picked it up. So it was, it was, it was good. It was a, it, it. But it was funny to see the look on on everybody's faces, like when when she said. Yeah. Don't ask the you know. Don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. <laughs> it's like totally. The first thing I was thinking is like, what are we gonna do, Mash? you I'm interested now. I want to yeah. see this one. Yeah.
0: But, uh, but,
1: yeah, but oh. uh, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely one of those days yeah. where you know it didn't matter, you know yeah. what color shoes you were wearing. You know that right. uh, everybody was on one team to get it taken care of, and that's yeah. how it worked. And you know, funny to find out that was a triple nickel, if I remember. Yes.
0: It's and
1: uh, it's it it was flying later on. Yes, it was. Take it was back. not the the, air, the airframe was still intact. So yep. I remember the captain, the uh, air station captain at the time, coming down and talking to the the boat station, you know, about the anchoring probably saved the air the airframe, and they could put it back in the cycle. And I think it was going through the upgrades anyway. The the correct the air, aircraft were going through their upgrades, so that one was just rushed to the front of the line.
0: Yeah, just brought in. It was already apart. You might as well. T- <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. um, the, uh, one of the other things that I'll I'll throw out there for anybody that's listening that you know um, doesn't fly or is not in the rescue world you know we actually we lost uh, a couple people that day because we were not able to complete our job and for anybody that doesn't understand that you know in order for us to go out and, and save the people in distress we have to be able to be cautious and careful with everything that we do and that's why we take time that's why we train that's why we practice because we're right. trying to prevent that accident from happen so that that's why we do it
1: yeah and that and if i recall i think that we only had the one helicopter at the time some one was down and one was always in rotation um yeah but, they, uh,
0: they had to throw a helicopter together to get another one out there it took about another hour
1: right, right. So. and that but that's not uncommon but that's like you you know you talk to the audience the coast guard has so many tools that they're in their toolbox okay. and you know when one of those pieces is missing because that sandbar became the biggest obstacle for the boat community right you know to get in there so the helicopter we relied on the helicopter a little bit more than you know than we would have liked obviously on the surface side but uh-huh. uh it's it's just what it is you have you never know there's no cookie cutter search and rescue case there's no case it's the same and everything always there's always something that is thrown in there that's gonna you have to look into that toolbox and find the right tool that you're going to use for that that mission
0: exactly man so that's you're you're on point with that one tom for sure so awesome well my friend um i've taken a bunch of your time i can't thank you enough for coming on uh do you have any uh departing words like tom knowledge that you would like to pass <laughs>
1: <laughs> no just always oh, i say always always be open to communications talk to one another always be listen to other people's observations and stuff like that even if they sound quirky or weird and stuff like that if you if you take just a little bit out of it and you can apply it to whatever your situation or your problem you're probably going to learn something so communication is absolutely the key to success and everything that we did in the Coast Guard, what I do even after retirement, stuff like that, even though I don't do a whole heck of a lot now, I'm in retirement, just, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those things, and, uh, you know, just take, take input from every level, because you never know when that gem is going to pop up.
0: Yeah, great advice, great advice.
1: So, but yeah, other than that, it's funny, it's funny listening, you know, listening, listening to myself tell these stories and like that. And I had a couple more pop up, but those will be for another, another time. And <laughs> funny,
0: uh, I would love to hear them. We will make this happen again, yep. for sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, thank you for having me on Jason. I appreciate it. And, uh, oh. you know, good luck with your, good luck with the podcast. I think thank it's you. a, it's a great thing that you're doing right now.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on with me. So I appreciate it, but all right. And on that, everybody, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or, if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, The Real Rescue at gmail.com. That's T H E R E A L R E S Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T H E R E A L R E S Q. I also want to give a special thank you. To all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.